Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. A great episode for you today with Obi Nwosu, who is the founder, CEO of coinfloor.co.uk, a Bitcoin-only exchange in in the UK. And um, we, we, we had to hold this interview back because we did this pre-big announcement for Coinfloor, which uh, turned into something um, you know uh, advantageous for us both, as you will uh, as you will find out. Um, I, you, you're going to love the interview. Um, the the ethos behind Coinfloor and where Obi's coming from is is a hundred percent genuine. So let's get into the interview. After after the interview, uh, Obi and I carried on the the conversation over the next couple of weeks since we recorded this, and he's been so kind enough to uh, help support the show and um, provide me with an affiliate link and you know help me try and um try and push this message forward as much as CoinFloor are trying to do with their education as well so if you are based in the uk or if you are a uk expat make sure you get um over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten to check out their offering you can just buy and sell bitcoin i wouldn't ever suggest selling but as an exchange or you can set up your weekly auto buys, which is um, obviously the uh, you know the least risky way to start your journey into Bitcoin. So definitely worth checking out. Thanks again, everybody, for listening and uh, supporting the show in any way that you do. It's uh, really very much appreciated. And don't forget, I'm also part of the Homeschooling Global Summit again this year. Uh, head over and check that out, hgsummit.com. Uh, because we're going to have some amazing guests coming on talking about you know what's going to happen in the next 10 years in the education space and are we ready for it and let's let's make some more rounded decisions about uh, the education choices we make for our kids rather than just putting them into the nearest school uh, i hope it uh, sparks some conversation enjoy this conversation with obi thanks for listening bye-bye Hi guys, welcome to today's show. We have uh, Obi Nwosu from coinfloor.co.uk with us today. And um, the the twins are excited because we are talking to a Jedi and uh, Obi-Wan <laughs> is his real name. So um, Lauren and Samuel are both here today to, to kick off the question. So uh, Samuel, do you want to speak right into that mic and ask Obi your question? Why do you like Bitcoin so much? Wow. Why do I like Bitcoin so much? It's... I think it comes down to I'm a great believer in reducing the gap between the privileged and the underprivileged, the rich and the poor, etc. And I think Bitcoin is probably your um, your sort of um, age. When you grow up, you're going to realize that this is one of our best opportunities to do that. And so I'm really excited about helping make that happen. Now, Lauren, do you have a, a question for Obi-Wan? Yeah, it isn't really a Bitcoin kind of question. That's good. Where do you come from? Where do I come from? I can answer in lots of different ways, but um, 
I was conceived, so my parents got together in Nigeria, but I was born in Nigeria in, in Africa, but my, I was born in London. So my mother waited till she landed in Heathrow Airport and then I sort of like combat Jedi rolled outside, out of the plane and landed. Um, so in that sense, I am have one part of me which is um, culturally Nigerian and another part of me is culturally British. So I like to call myself Anglo-Gerian. But also I just come from, I come from a background of working class, hardworking working class parents of many struggles of um, seeing unfortunate things like racism and prejudice when I was very young to also seeing incredibly inspiring people who no matter what happens, they worked hard and they just pushed through. Um, I, and you know, um, a family that would say things like only the best is good enough for an African or either the best or among the best. So this, 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 I come from that mentality as well. So depending what you mean by what you come from. I think she was hoping you were going to say Tatooine. But, uh, <laughs> the, the planet, the planet where. But Luke, that's, that, uh, that's where Luke comes oh, from. I, no one knows. No one knows where um, Obi Wan Kenobi comes from. Let's. Uh-huh. I was thinking like a, a, a weird alien kind of <laughs> planet. <laughs> Well, I I could tell you that, but then we'll have to start the invasion early. And so I don't yeah. want to do that. We've got a few more years left. He can't dox what galaxy he comes from. <laughs> Jedi is a very, very yeah. secretive, secretive people. And especially Jedi Bitcoiners, which is exactly what Obi is. Obi is. Right, guys, are you going to say goodnight now? And, yeah, uh, we yeah. have to go. It's past our bedtime. <laughs> well, really good to talk to you guys. Thank you for the questions. It's, you're welcome, and yeah. um, have a good podcast. Thank you. See you. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Thank you, man. That's uh, that was awesome. Um, no problem. Yeah, like I um, like I said before, I, you know, I, I love um, including them in in the in the podcast if they've got questions and they're showing interest. Uh, I always want to bring them in and and expose them to um, to people that are making such a difference in in this space. Uh, I think it's um, very very important. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting as they grow up and they get all these influences and what that's going to lead them to become. So exciting times, man! They'll they'll be um, knocking on your door at Coin Floor in about ten years for a uh, you know a, a role at um, I have at the Ivory Towers. Be, I have a feeling they'll be probably knocking on the door to try and acquire us because they'll have <laughs> they'll have billion dollar businesses or by then actually with inflation trillion dollar businesses at age 16 you know let's hope so or if i'm doing a good enough job they'll have enough sats to make life choices that you know work on projects that that set them alight rather than um go hunting around the job market like we all had to do um that's yeah. that's my that's one of my beliefs actually for for kids of today it's like you know if you start stacking early then the options out there, it, it blows your mind. Exactly. I think um, there's this perception that people, if they don't have to work, will stop working. But um, I remember a TED talk when um, someone was talking about universal basic income and they said, they asked everybody, um, who here in this audience believes that if most people were not given, um, were, didn't have to work, would they stop working? And almost everybody put their hands up. And then they ask another question, who here, if they didn't have to work, 
would stop working and no one put their hands up. <laughs> it's like the reality is, is you would stop working on stuff that you don't find passion, don't, don't get passion from you and it doesn't engage you, but you'll still want to find something to work on. And that will, and if you work on something you're really passionate about, that's when you actually make a change in the world. Correct. And that, that comes all, but like, um, you know, it, it seems pretty glib. Sometimes you see that the classic Steve Jobs um, quote, you know, if you, if you work on something you love, you won't work a day in your life. But that exactly. is, that is that. That's what, yeah. exactly what you dis- described. Um, and I think that's going rampant at the moment through the Bitcoin community. Mm. For those people that fall down that rabbit hole mm. and for people like yourself that start in um, Bitcoin only companies um for podcasters for writers uh, you know we're all just trying to figure out a way to be part of this bigger picture um i think um i think that's a 100 right i I've, my challenge is trying to go to sleep the last month it's been a regular occurrence that i did not go to sleep before 5 a.m sometimes 9 a.m and i wake up at eight, nine, 10 a.m. and go back into work. Um, my co-director um, and COO, um, Teggy, was um, wondering if I was a daytime person or a nighttime person. I'm just a, I'm just a, I can't get enough of it person right now. <laughs> and um, it's as simple as that. There's this, I don't know if you've heard of this Japanese concept of ikigai. And it's the, con- uh, you, you, you're nodding your head, so. That means you have, and it's finding your reason for being. And it's that combination of something that you're good at. And I'm still learning in the Bitcoin space, but after six plus years, starting to get, get, get some of a handle of it. Something that um, obviously makes money because otherwise you can never work on it with fully. Something that um, you really enjoy doing or passionate about. And I'm absolutely and no pun intended, but batshit passionate about this. And then finally, something that the world needs and the world really needs a decentralized, censorship-resistant, hard money. And when you find all of those in one, it's so empowering, so passionate, it's really hard to just go to sleep and stop and put the pen down or put the virtual pen down. So yeah, that's what I think I found. I um I echo your sentiments and it's um and it's such a tough sell for me to to onboard some of my friends because you know my 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 background was mainstream finance you know I was mm-hmm. a foreign exchange broker so guys that I'm still in contact with whether they were ex colleagues or ex clients they just think yeah whatever like he's in it for you know he he, he he's in this because he thinks there's some potential upside mm. yep and if I start trying to sp- about the like the, the humanity side of things or what you just um you just explained um they're like yeah yeah whatever because they're still on the wheel right that that they can't that if they're not in the rabbit hole no one can really fully understand that so i think um i mean when we started we we tried very hard to convince people everybody we could talk to friends family why this thing was amazing and we were that person you know i and everybody goes on that hope is that person at the party or now the virtual party who's going on the bitcoin guy um and i'm still the bitcoin guy but um unless someone asks me uh, in terms of my friends i don't really 
spend time trying to convince them anymore. What I've realized after this period of time is that at some point you need to provide the information to everyone, but they will come to it themselves. They will come to the space themselves. Um, and the, the gravitational pull of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular is so strong that eventually it will drag everybody and different people are at, are, are at different distances from the event horizon. And that's, and that's going to be the case. So the only challenge is to sort of stretch that metaphor <laughs> is that there are multiple smaller, less powerful, um, um, false black holes nearby. And once they start coming into that, into sort of the Bitcoin sort of um, field of, of action, it is, a, there, it is possible for them to go the wrong way and end up some in some evolutionary rut. Just now, I'm going to now mix metaphors like crazy. I've had a, I've had a glass of wine now. And, um, <laughs> and, and that's, so my objective of recent times is to change from trying to convince people about Bitcoin, but when they finally sort of come towards the promised land, or crypto land, to sort of steer them past all the sort of false false profits and sort of so they go the direction that they were originally tended tended for which is obviously yeah, we believe is bitcoin so you, you've managed to find your bitcoin zen and um, um you you've gone from because i've i've done the same thing you know i've gone from the guy that's just trying to shout from the rooftops it's like guys <laughs> I want you to. I want you to learn. I want you to understand. Yeah. And if you don't have the time, just trust me. But nobody, of course, does. Um, and like creating this podcast is my outlet. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if someone's not going to listen, if my friends or my family aren't going to listen to me, maybe they'll listen to the people that I interview. Um, I think it becomes about it becomes about education. I mean, um, and that's a big part of mine and our sort of philosophy since the beginning of twenty twenty. Um, so we talk about no BS education, um, where we just try to give people straight talking education and try to explain things as simply as possible. And then separately, any other initiative, including this, which is amazing, any other initiative where people are truly and honestly trying to educate people, we try to help in any way we can. It might be supporting by coming on and speaking. It might be behind the scenes, um, providing some sort of capital to an initiative, anybody, or it might be a, a group like we have um, Bitcoin embassies around the world. We have a UK Bitcoin embassy. Try to get involved with that. Um, or CoinFest we have up in uh, another CF UK, by the way. Um, CoinFest, which is, again, a grassroots free conference for people to just come and talk in a pub and chat for a weekend um, up north. Things like this where... You're just going right down to the ground, cutting all the middle out and just trying to talk to people and educate people. But the people who are interested, because if they haven't yet come to the land themselves, then it's sort of a waste of time and it can actually be detrimental. But once they're there and they want to learn, that's when you need to shepherd them on the way and, and avoid sort of dropping off the yellow brick road, as it were. And this is something that you guys did um, very recently, right? You went, you went Bitcoin only. Um, could you just talk us through like the journey of, you know, sitting down, deciding to found a Bitcoin company or a cryptocurrency company? I mean, not many people just like one day wake up and say, right, I'm going to start that. Uh, you know, what were you doing before and what led you to it? 
And what was the decision to go Bitcoin only? Because that is huge. Yeah. So, oh, well, before I, well, before, before I studied computer science and I did um, sort of a minor in cognitive science. So effectively, AI before it was called a course of AI. Way back, showing my ages in the 1990s. And then I graduated and I started working in various dot-com companies that did very well at the time. So UK and European-based ones that grew to be very large organizations. And then uh, the last company I worked for was a massively multiplayer virtual world, 30 million users by the time I left. We created a virtual world um, and we created a virtual currency. Um, people were spending 30, 40, 50 hours a week trying to earn this virtual currency, which could only be used in this walled garden. And we were sort of scratching our heads trying to figure out why would they want to earn this virtual currency to buy these virtual items that we just created. It's like we created money out of thin air. Um, but it was there where you realized that value was uh, was effectively, it was value was extrinsic. It was always provided by the person. If someone valued it and they knew someone else valued it, it was valuable. After that, I decided to work for myself. Finally, I'd been thinking and I wanted to be an entrepreneur from the time I, I was in university. But I'd, uh, the lure of high salaries kept me working for someone else. And eventually I decided a, a large event happened in my personal life. This is a segue, but it's all related where my uh, older brother um, unfortunately passed away suddenly. And it made me realize you just never know when you've got to go, when you're going to go. So, so do the thing I wanted to do. And, it's, and my, my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey started. I worked on first company, sold that. Um, the second company lost a huge amount, but, and, but that's where you learn a lot. Um, while working on the second company, I came across Bitcoin. Um, it was... As you could tell, I'm, I'm effectively a geek, a techie, and some of the early people were in tech. So it appealed, this was in 2011. It appealed to me technically. I spent three or four months looking at it. Eventually played around with like a fraction of it, which was, and at the time I think it was $10 or 10 pounds or something like that. Um, decided to ignore it when the price plummeted from, from 10, 20, 30 pounds by about 80% to two, three, four pounds. I thought this is a waste of time. Um, and carried on with my business. And then around 2013, um, my then, my then um, co-founder who had Angel invested in his previous business came to me with the idea of a Bitcoin exchange. I looked at Bitcoin again. Now it was in the hundreds of pounds in a period of like one and a half, two years. And I thought, okay, we've got to do something here. Um, and looking at who was it, who are the players in the space at the time, there was basically no one in the UK. Um, if they were, they were being hacked. They were the founders were anonymous. And we thought, well, let's just make an exchange where it doesn't get hacked. And this is the sort of twenty years worth of a tech experience, so it doesn't get hacked. It's reliable, and we're we're not anonymous because although the currency is pseudonymous, if you're taking ownership or taking responsibility for someone's money, you definitely shouldn't be anonymous. Um, but that was a big thing at the time. And we launched and sort of the rest was history. We, we launched, uh, we started doing OTC and then um, in the background working on the actual programmatic exchange. And 
um, we always aimed at the beginning to focus on sophisticated and professional investors and traders because we just didn't think morally it made sense to offer it to pure retail in its sort of in the, in the current state. Uh, we launched in um, the beginning of um, uh, March, in the beginning of 2014, just after the Mt. Gox hack. Um, and so we also took the opportunity, um, a very bright guy from the Bitcoin um, development community figured out a way to do something called proof of reserves or provable solvency. So we decided just like every other exchange at the time to, to start doing provable solvency as well. And that's when we started, 2014, six plus years ago now, um, running nonstop 24-7 exchange, always proving solvency. And it was, for most of that time, Bitcoin. Um, then the Bitcoin cash fork happened. And um, there was, well, the Bitcoin cash fork was about to happen. I remember being in uh, CoinScrum. CoinScrum is a very, it was one of the oldest um, Bitcoin and crypto um, community meetup slash um, set of meetings and and interviews and so on. And I remember being in the CoinScrum event in Shoreditch in London, where um, Mike Hearn um, um, was um, saying that there should be a benevolent dictator for Bitcoin. And that was the beginning of the massive debates between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin and and it eventually led to Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash splitting the two. And there was, again, a great debate at that point as to should we should um, the community follow the, the miners and Bitcoin Cash? Uh, I think it was called Bitcoin Unlimited or the version before then at the time. I have to remember now. It's a while back. Or follow the, the fork where it was about the nodes and the users. And, and we were, I think, one of the first exchanges to come out. This was on Reddit at the time. Reddit slash Bitcoin was actually where everybody would talk at the time. And we made this post where we basically said, look, as CoinFloor, uh, we, you know, we're, we're, for what it's worth, our view when people are trying to decide is that the fork that we were going to consider to be Bitcoin is the one where the, the users support, not the one where the miners support. And I think after that, many other people in their own way came to the same conclusion and Bitcoin split into two. Um, Bitcoin isn't that, was the one, even if, even if it was going to have less mining power behind it, it turned out it didn't um, because miners very quickly realized that their power was illusory. Their power is granted to them by the people using their service. They are service providers and the users are service patrons. And the clue is in the name as to which one is has the power. Um, similar thing for exchanges, but I can come on to that later. And and then, but as it split, we then went from one cryptocurrency to two, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Um, at the right at the beginning of 2019, after a lot of pressure, we also added Ethereum because I couldn't see the actual use case of Ethereum. And the main reason why was the number one use case for a cryptocurrency was to be a current a form of money, and Ethereum was one of the of the cryptocurrencies which, for a long time, was saying that its value as a money isn't that important. And then at the at the end of 2018, they they finally started to say that okay, Ethereum should be considered the money as well. And we've given it was the number two currency. We decided to list it, but um, halfway through last year, 
um, the um, founder Vitalik and many other major um, developers of, of Ethereum came out saying that, ah, after all, Ethereum won't actually scale. Um, and we have to create a completely new blockchain, which is basically, it's not a fork, it's a completely new cryptocurrency. And we will airdrop, um, we will airdrop um, amounts which will be equivalent to the amounts that are on Ethereum, but it will be separate. And at that point, after six months, and after you know looking at the the plan of multiple forks and updates, it just became clear that um, well, if the founders and the main developers of it of, of Ethereum do not think it's good enough to be a currency, then there's no way I can objectively say that it's good enough to be a currency. So objectively, I have to say it's not good enough. If Ethereum two comes out and the six or seven dominoes that it has to um, it has to get to um, drop in a row um, happen, and it gets significant support and and a significant amount of period goes goes by where it doesn't have any issues because it's trying to solve a number of really complex techno um, computer science, computer science problems in one go. This is like changing the wheels, wings. Uh, everything on on a on a vehicle and still keeping them going in parallel, then we'll consider listing it again. But that's years away, and um, um, so in the interim, we decided to drop that Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. It's really clear that Bitcoin has won that battle. We delisted Bitcoin Cash as well, um, and we went back to how we started Bitcoin only, and that was not a moment too soon. What was difficult is there was a lot of pressure from certain certain large customers, other people in the industry, um, and even sometimes investors, because um, the view was it was a very risky move. And it was, but I, I just sort of, we were just getting to the point where we just thought, you know what, I'm doing this because I want to be doing something I really believe in and I'm passionate about. And I couldn't keep looking in the mirror, offering something that I felt was not fit for purpose. Because there's a word for that, and I call that BS. Oh, it was, there's an acronym for it. You can, you know what the word is. And so just decided that we'll delist. And the day that it would finalize would be the day which was the 11th anniversary for Bitcoin, January 2020. And it was the best decision we ever made. We It was announced on Coindesk and they thought it would just be a small story. It was their most retweeted story of 2019. It was their most liked story of 2019. People were calling me up, people working for other exchanges saying, thank you for doing that. It took a lot of guts. I really wish our exchange made the same decision. Other people called me up saying, you're now going to see how the community um, supports someone who makes a decision. I know that it was the right decision. And I can tell there's a, it just keyed off a groundswell of support that makes me makes it clear that this is the way this is the next big way for the industry. Yeah, it's ballsy as hell, man. It's just um, brilliant. It's great to see that um, you know you're, you're taking this initiative and um, providing just a crystal clear message to anybody that's coming to your exchange that there is nothing else. Well, I think that the challenge we have is trying to help people help themselves. If they've taken the effort to come to this space, you want to provide as 
easy and as clear a possible path to them doing the the actions that are going to most likely lead them to achieve what they actually really envisaged. Now, one of the fundamental problems you have and we had in the past was that our interests were not always directly aligned to the interests of retail. They were very aligned to the interests of sophisticated and professional investors and traders who wanted multiple cryptocurrencies, wanted multiple exchange types and trading types and so on, which is why we we built the world's first physically delivered futures service, which is now spun off and is CoinFlex and is doing great volumes, etc. It's perfect for that user to use. It's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with trading, etc. But if you're coming in new and you've just about heard of Bitcoin, starting to get into multiple other cryptocurrencies, starting to get into leverage, starting to get into derivatives, it, it's, it's just overwhelming and too much. And the risk that you're going to do something that's not in your financial uh, interest is, is in the high 90s, you know. Um, as an exchange that's focused for years on sophisticated investors and traders, um, I can tell you that even most of the sophisticated investment traders um, often don't do as well as they expect when trading. Many of them do because they're that's because they've been doing it day in day out, but many don't. Um, if you're someone who's new and you really are passionate and you really enjoy the idea of trading, then great. Then you can learn in a sensible, safe way. You can. Um, not using up all your life savings, obviously, but you can learn about trading. But for the vast majority of people, and not the 1% who are the risk-tolerant people who, are, who came to crypto first, but the 99% of the market still isn't here yet, for the vast majority of people, that's not the offering they're looking for. They, want, they don't want to necessarily... Um, they, lots of the companies they're dealing with are new to them, so they want to give the minimum amount of information um, that they need to. Of course, they they don't want to help um, support terrorism or or mon- anti money laundering or so on. They, they they just they don't want to do that. But they're also not thinking about that. They also don't want to be defrauded, and and they're worried about losing data because of uh, they hear about hacks of sites and all this personal information. So they, they, that's one concern they have. And then once they get past that concern, they want it to be as simple as quick as possible absolutely as simple as quick as possible and free they're worried about the volatility of bitcoin they're worried about the price that goes up one day down the other day whereas someone who's risk tolerant actually loves that someone who's risk averse hates that so you have to solve the short-term volatility but they want to be exposed to the long-term volatility because by this point they've come they've come to the front door and they they probably now believe that because it's hard money, because it's fixed supply, um, that over the long term, it will go up in value. But what they're scared about is what's going to happen over the short term. Um, and they're also scared about giving too much away or, or and also they, they haven't got that much time. They want it to be as simple as possible. So we dealt with those. And the answer to each one is simple. Our sign-up process is the simplest sign-up process in the UK, in Europe, and if you're a regulated exchange, probably I don't think there's any other regulated exchange will have a, a simpler process um, or soon to be regulated exchange in the UK, just to be technically correct. Um, the next thing is the sign up process. It needs to be as fast and as simple as possible. Well, dollar cost averaging, once it's set up, you don't need to do anything else. 
zero seconds. You can't get faster than zero seconds. Um, and then finally, um, you protect you from volatility. Again, dollar cost averaging protects you from short-term volatility. And it's as simple as that. But the problem is it's not exciting. It doesn't maximize. For the exchange, um, you're, you're setting a cap on the revenues you can make from someone. You're not asking them to keep logging in and find other things to spend their money on. Maybe they should buy. Maybe they should sell. Maybe they should switch over to other cryptocurrency. Maybe they should do all these other things to it, which expose them to risk of maybe gaining, but also maybe losing. And the more you do that, it goes from being investment to trading, to gambling, to YOLO recting, you know? Exactly. <laughs> just and let's let's talk about... There, um, <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's talk about dollar cost averaging because I don't want anybody to get lost in any terminology if they're um, yeah. really new to the space and they want to talk about um, what is that? What are they talking about? Um, now, there are, there's a bunch of great stuff going on in America and, uh, well, North America. Uh, it's so exciting to find a, a company like yourself really gunning this in Europe now because it is by far and away the easiest way the lowest barrier to entry, the easiest way for people to start saving some Bitcoin, very small amounts, like what, what, what's your minimum, like 10 pounds a week or something? Our minimum is 10 pounds for any one payment, yeah. I right. mean, we could consider getting it lower, but it's sort of 10 pounds, yeah. So that's and the so, thing. Before, when we were institutional, the minimums were 1,000. We reduced them down to 250. But, that, cause, but we, so just to sort of make sure that people are, trying to get to trade we're not we don't want to focus on trading for people trading 10 pounds or something because we just think it's not an alignment of interests and we don't want people to trade and lose all their money but for dollar cost averaging you can do payments as low as 10 pounds and it is so simple and it solves so many problems which is it's sort of like electric cars you know and you know why did who killed the electric car, the GM documentary from the, from the 90s. It's dollar cost averaging is the electric car of, of um, Bitcoin investment. You set up an account and then you set up a regular payment. And once it's set up, you set up in a way where you have full control to change it whenever you want. Um, whenever a payment goes in, you can check. You can log on and check on your mobile or on, on a web, on a, on a laptop. Um, the status of your account and so on. But the whole point is that you don't need to do that. It happens automatically in the background. So you can have the whizzy bang, most whiz bang mobile app in the world. It's one more thing for the customer to download and it takes up more real estate on their, on the, the, the homepage of their mobile phone. Uh, it's one more thing sending them alerts about this and the other, trying to get them to do things that are not necessarily in their, in their interest versus using the, the apps that you're already used to, setting up once, and then automatically receiving an update whenever you, your dollar cost averaging payment's gone through, telling me your new balance, telling you that you've, you've got a greater share of the fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoin. And the advantage of dollar cost, dollar cost averaging means making a regular um, equal payment on, on daily, monthly, weekly, you choose the period. We recommend weekly. And what this does is it protects you against the movements in price. This scares a lot of people, the volatility of price when you ask retail. 
So the price might be down one day and it seems like it's a good time to buy, but then the price shoots up and it might seem like a bad time to buy. Instead, if you just buy whatever the price is, ignore the price, just buy whatever the price is, it means that over time, the amount you're paying is the average of the price. And if you're paying the average of the price and you look at Bitcoin's price historically, the average has just gone up over time. There's been periods where it's gone down and up, but if you've kept um, buying at the average of the price, then it doesn't matter, it almost doesn't matter when you get in. You could get in at the price at what seems like a local top and the price drops down the following day. doesn't matter because then you buy at the, the lower price and it averages out. If it stays at the lower price for a while, if you keep buying, then your average keeps going down towards that. And if it goes up, the average moves up. So buying regularly at regular intervals, the same amount effectively protects you to a great extent for short-term volatility. It also means I don't need to be a whiz with technical analysis, working out where the price of the market is going to look like or reading all the newspapers and working out whether this new story is going to affect the price or not. I don't have to do any of that. I, I, that completely goes out the window. I just have to make sure that regular payment goes through. And if I choose to, I can read the status. I can go online and see how great uh, a hodler I've been. Um, yeah. But that's it. <laughs> And just to make this crystal clear to anybody listening, you, you literally set up an account with CoinFloor and then you open your, um, your, your local high street bank account and you set up a standing order. It's that simple. It, it's, it's that easy. Yeah. You open an account. Opening an account with us requires um, if, if, and we spend a lot of time making sure this was fine from a regulatory point of view with the new regulation. And, and another reason we waited till the new regulation came in place. So we knew exactly what was possible. Because we knew another key issue is the complexity of signing up. So if our exchange, if you just want to auto buy and just to get started, at least for the first few months, um, you just provide your email, name, address, date of birth and nationality. And that's it. You don't need to provide day one um, your proof of ID, which is a big thing because people, no matter how simple they make it, fishing around for your passport, trying to take pictures the right light, it's it's hassle. And also, you need to learn to trust us. Um, and we have other mechanisms to work out your and validate and verify your proof of ID, which is where we do that whiz bang stuff on the back end. So that allows us to verify your proof of ID without needing an ID to do that. And so we can evidence your, evidence your ID without that. We can provide a, a sign-up process, which is incredibly simple. On your mobile, you can be on the move. Most people from the top of their head can remember their name, their address, and their date of birth. And their address is just a postcode. We'll look it up for you. Um, and your nationality, which we default to UK because 95% of people are UK. So literally, that's all you need to do, and you're signed up. Um, whereas if you add ID, even if it's one more piece of information, it's a much slower process to get that, to find it, to fish it out, to, to, to scan it. And then you're in. And then you see the details after reading like a few lines of information, which is important for you to read. You set up the standing order in the banking app that you've already got set up so that you already know it, you already trust it, et cetera. It's a standing order as well. So actually, many of the other ones that we've seen pull the money from your account. But this is about monetary control. It's better to have a standing order because you push the money 
when you want to stop, you don't have to come on and say, please, sir, Oliver Twist, like, can you please cancel my my um, standing order or my um, whatever is the mechanism I ha- you, they've set up to remove. Instead, you just stop the standing order and it stops. You want to change the value of standing order, it changes. You're used to that app. You don't sign it, set up a new app on your on your machine and you can set it up in seconds. If you want to make a one-off payment as well, you can use it just to buy Bitcoin. If you want to make a one-off payment, you just log into your banking app. You set up, a, you, you use a transfer, the data would have been saved. You click, the, all the information will be there. You just choose the amount and send. We've checked it on a click-by-click basis. It's quicker to log into your banking app and transfer that than it is to go in and add your bank, your card number your for a credit card payment, card number, um, expiry date, secure code, and so on. There are far less clicks than log in, um, click transfer, click coin floor, and then click the amount you want and send. And a few minutes later, you receive an email saying, You've, you've automatically bought this amount. So it's quicker, it's simpler, it doesn't add more clutter to your life, and it keeps you fully in control. And is this just UK, or is there other European countries that um, can can get in on this? So day one, I mean, just launched, um, we soft launched um, at the end of March, just very quietly. Um, we And we've still got a lot of really good feedback, really good numbers. Um, but it's just UK for now. Um, we're taking even we had even the full sort of announcement where we want to take like a month or two, get the initial feedback. Uh, we've added dozens of little pieces of functionality, tune the experience. Um, we're excited about certain little elements we'll be adding to it in the next month as well, just to make the experience even better. And then then we'll push it more in the UK and. Then after that, yeah, the obvious next step would be Europe. Um, uh, I think a big part of it is sending and you're seeing it quickly. And now you have SEPA Instant in the UK, which is similar to faster payments. So I feel like that experience where the speed is is comparable to the speed of buying with credit card, but you're in control is 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 a key key part of it. Now, I'd be letting the listeners down if I didn't ask about um, like the business model. Like, um, if if I'm sending over like twenty pounds, is that whole twenty pounds going straight into Bitcoin, or is there a service fee? I mean, how are you guys making um, uh, like your margins? You know, you've got a company to support here, yeah, and build. Very, very good question, and that's part of our sort of no no coin BS type um, mindset, um, or no crypto BS, whatever you want to call it. If you look at most retail offerings, it's very, very hard to find the fees. Our fees, we have a fees page. Some don't even have a fees page for their retail offering. And um, we have a fees page and the fees don't require you to have a PhD in in law and um, accountancy to be dual qualified in law and accountancy to figure out what the hell's going on and potentially also be a trader as well. Um, So it's very simple. It's a flat rate. The actual publish rate, we've actually slightly reduced over what it is on our site right now, just today. So we'll change the site, is, uh, but it's better to over, um, under-promise, over-deliver. So yeah, it's it's a flat um, rate. It's So for buying, it's 3.5% um, up to 250, and then with a minimum of one pound. And then above 250, it's 2%. That compares very favorably with the other um, significant players in in the UK space, 
in most cases, is actually cheaper. But here's the thing. It may not seem cheaper because of the way others may um, represent their fees. But actually, when you do the maths and the legals and so on and figure it out, it is, in most cases, um, significant. In fact, sometimes half the price. Okay. And now another two very important questions, which I think people are going to be um, very interested to know is, well, first of all, not your keys, not your coin. How... (laughs) Can you talk to uh, to us a little bit about um, if someone is dollar cost averaging and they want to take uh, custody of their Bitcoin, is that an optionality at the moment? Absolutely. And uh, that's a good question. Though. Um, so this was one of the things that we struggled for on because on one hand, uh, we want to make the process as easy as possible. But on the other hand, we believe in education and the power of the one of the superpowers of Bitcoin is being your own bank and having that your control. But I think we have to realize this, no matter how um, valid the final destination is, you have to go through B, C, D, and so on to get to Z. It's not really possible to skip. Um, And a lot of this is about education. Being your own bank requires education, which is why before we launched the... Um, auto buy offering we first launched the, the education offering because we felt that educa- we wanted to make sure people understood that we felt that education was also a product that we were selling and offering um, so what does that mean in terms of not your keys not your coin first off we want to um, educate people and teach them or point them to resources that teach them about how to safely custody their own crypto and until they know how to custody their own crypto safely we don't think it's good to say day one you must have a wallet and figure out yourself how to manage your own wallet and then immediately transfer to it that seems like a recipe for disaster and a recipe for a very bad experience so day one first learn about how to have your own cryptocurrency bitcoin and just own it and that's 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 the first step the second, is day two, is to learn how to get into the mindset of trust but verify. Because if you wanted to be your own bank, you have to learn to start doing your own auditing, own verification. So the key for that is we perform a process called provable solvency, where we show once a month, we basically open our books. And we've done this since launching. We've done it now 63 times which is more than every other um, crypto, a major crypto exchange in the world combined. Um, hmm. Even though there was a joint paper, a joint letter um, signed by all the major crypto exchanges of the time, and you'll know all the names, back in 2013, promising to do a Bitcoin audit. They, one of them, I believe, Kraken did one or two. The rest didn't even do one. But the reason why Bitcoin um, um, provable solvency is good is it's, it's it's a mechanism that we think allows people to get a better sense of comfort that we are actually solvent and we are actually holding their customers' cryptocurrency. But the other thing it does, and I realized this, or we realized this recently, is that it also, um, if you follow the steps, you start building up the mindset of verifying what's being told you, not just trusting it blindly. 
other exchanges may or other services, and it's, it's much more prevalent in the traditional financial space. Um, the traditional view is to just give it to us, look at our credentials, look at our insurances, and just trust us. And really, you have to un- you have to start to break that habit. And by having provable solvency and encouraging customers to, on a monthly basis, verify self-verify at least their portion of the transaction, you start training them into the mind. You start, they start going through a mindset shift of trusting us, looking at our credentials, but also verifying. So that's phase two. And in phase three is to for people to learn about self-custody, um, learn about um, um, software wallets on mobile phones for maybe a small percentage of their holdings, hardware wallets, et cetera, um, and we will we plan to come up with lots of materials or point to if there are great um, pieces of content that you or others are producing on this, point them to this until the point that they think that they are comfortable to custody themselves safely in some sort of redundant way, probably involving hardware wallets, et cetera. And once they are, and they have an amount that's worth it, if they've got three pounds, it's not worth paying 400 pounds for a software, a hardware wallet, for example. If you're putting £10 a month, it might take a while for it to make economic sense. Um, And once they have an amount which is worthwhile um, holding on a hardware wallet and they're comfortable, then at that point, we want to make it incredibly easy for them to auto-buy and auto-withdraw to the hardware wallet. Um, We are considering various ideas around that, potentially working with hardware wallet slash software wallet manufacturers to have highly integrated services that work with CoinFloor and the wallet providers so that we can provide an end-to-end. But we don't think it makes sense to require, you know, this, how old are your kids? <laughs> you know? Nine. And nine. yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the ones you met tonight were nine, yeah. Nine and both nine? <laughs> Twelve. Oh, yeah, they're the twins you met tonight, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> nine. So it doesn't make sense for a nine-year-old to st- being give, given the keys to a, a Harrier jump jet, you know, day one. <laughs> You can start them on the concepts of flight. And then maybe when they get to 15, 16, they can come up in the plane with you. And then at 17, 18, you can, they can hold the stick with the training gear and so on. You take them through the process, even though you can see that they're incredibly gifted and they could be an amazing pilot in, in time. And that's the process that I think we need to do. But absolutely, ultimately, people should custody themselves. And we're going we're gonna to make sure that we take them through those that ABC process till they're, till they're able to do that. Love the analogy. Very British as well for all those US <laughs> listeners. Like, Harry you know. Jumpjet, yeah. I'm just, yeah. I can't remember um, an American fighter plane. But. Do Harry no, Jumpjets, no. have they been decommissioned? Do they exist anymore? Goodness knows. Goodness knows. But I want to talk about, like, let, let's stay on this, like your proof of reserves, because this is something, this is so key. Uh, excuse the pun, listener. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> um, can you talk about proof of keys and what that means? Because people might see that coming up around the, the turn of the year next year and like, what is this? What is this proof of keys? What is that? And why do you stand out head and shoulders above any other exchange when it comes to that? Okay. So I, I will say what it is, but let me headline why, just in case I forget, why do we stand out? That is something I've wrapped my head around. So I don't really know, but we'll come back to that. Um, so what it is, um, back in 2013, um, late 2013, early 2014, the whole 
Mount Gox was at the time, um, well, in 2013, at the time, one of the, well, the, by far the biggest crypto Bitcoin exchange. It was only Bitcoin at the time, Bitcoin exchange in the world. Doing incredible volume. Um, they had various issues and so on, but there was still no, people would just use it because exchanges have massive economies of scale and liquid and, um, and, um, and they also have massive network effects. So everybody was using Mt. Gox. There were great concerns that they weren't actually solvent. So all the money that was held on them or supposed to be held on them was actually not being held on them. Some of it maybe being hacked, lost, stolen, something had happened. And there were more and more rumors that this had happened. So then they tried to dispel these rumors. So first of all, they tried to um, use appeals to authority. So they found people in the community were highly trusted and respected, and they got them to, on, on, on video, state that Mt. Gox was, was completely fine, and you should just trust me. You should trust Mt. Gox because you trust me. Um, and that uh, assuaged or that reduced people's concerns for a while, but these persisting um, concerns came, kept, kept coming back until one day it, be, it was revealed that actually it was insolvent. And people for a long time afterwards tried to figure out why it was insolvent and what had happened. And, and the, the um, uh, CEO um, of the exchange was arrested, etc. But one thing was clear. If, or at least if the version of events that the, the CEO has stated was the case, then this was something that was probably happening slowly over time. If they proved their reserves, proved their solvency, um, one, it would have allowed um, them to um, more others to quickly see that there was an issue at early at an early stage and correct it early. And two, it would have more importantly, it would have allowed the person. It would have forced them into the discipline of performing a monthly audit. So they would have found it themselves before, because obviously you're, you're, the audit's actually for you, but this, you're, what you're actually doing is just evidencing to others that you're performing that audit. Um, and that would have solved the problem much earlier, maybe when they'd lost only a small percentage of the amount as opposed to a larger amount. After that, also, trust in exchanges was really shot. And... Um, and there, was, and there was a fear that this would reduce confidence in the whole sector. So this is where this idea of um, proof of reserves came about. Now, the idea is relatively simple. Um, to prove you're solvent, you need to show that in terms of customer funds, that is, you need to show that the amount of funds that customers have entrusted with you are less in, the value of those is less than the value of the amount of funds that you have control over. So if you're controlling 10,000 Bitcoin and the customers are entrusting with you 9,000 Bitcoin, you're solvent because you've got more than you should have. Simple as that. And the question is, how do you prove that? Well, you can, can, you can prove how much Bitcoin you can control. And there's a multiple ways, but one very naive, simple way, and we like to keep things naive and simple, um, is you can send a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain from yourself to yourself. And along with the transaction, you can effectively add a piece of information, which only you could have sent. 
And by doing that, you can prove, and everybody can see on the blockchain with this piece of information, that you sent this transaction from yourself to yourself. Therefore, you have control of that much Bitcoin. The second part of the equation is how do you prove that the amount of, bit, the amount of Bitcoin you should have, um, or the, at least the minimum amount of Bitcoin you should have? You can have more from profits or whatever, but you should have a minimum amount. Now, there's no perfect way, but the idea that was considered pretty clever was to create a report, a solvency report, listing or reserves report, listing effectively account balance, account name, let's say account name, account balance, account name, account balance, account name, account balance for every account that you have. Now, that would be a privacy fail. So what you do is you then effectively effectively not encrypt but you you blind you obfuscate you um adjust each line in a way where only you or as the exchange and the customer who has that balance can can um um verify that line relates to to them and then obviously you do other things. You you randomize the order each time so people can't work out that line one is always the same person. Um, and you do other things like that. And then you this document, you also add a timestamp, some a piece of a date effectively in a number format, a date so that you so you know forevermore when this document was made. And then when you've done that, you take the entire document and you create what's called a cryptographic hash of the document. But basically it's effectively a signature or it's effectively a, a string which directly maps to that file. If you change the file in any way, the string will, will change and vice versa. So you know they relate to each other. And if you go back to that original transaction on the blockchain, the piece of information you send with it is that hash. So what it does is it links, what you effectively do is you send a transaction on the blockchain for a given amount, 10,000 say Bitcoin, but you include a note, it's called an op return, but you include a note saying it relates to this file. And it's effectively, that acts like a, a link, a, a logical link between that transaction and that file, uh, the, the hash you created. And then the file you also publish on a easily accessible public website that forever. Um, you only need it for a day, but you keep it for, for years. We, we don't delete them. And so any user can go along, find the file, download it, see all the transactions. The balances are clear, but the actual name of the account is not clear effectively. They can then, and we give them very simple instructions on our Bitcoin, we call them Bitcoin audits effectively, on our Bitcoin audits page. And they can follow those. And we've tried to over six years to make them as easy as possible because this is a technical process. And we've found web resources for people to click and point and follow. And they can go through the document and find the line that using these instructions, using details that only they and we know, and and the instructions give them, and they can decode the line that relates to them, check the balance, and confirm that the balance that we say that we have for them is what they understood know that they have we have for them. If we showed, if if for any customer we had a balance that showed that was less than they expected, they can then effectively be like, be like a canary in a coal mine. 
and have evidence to prove that you've published this saying that this was a balance. But I know, and I can prove it with my deposits and withdrawals from the account and so on, independently of you, that this is the balance I was supposed to have. Um, you're lying. Therefore, that therefore it calls into question your solvency. And because we don't know who out of all our customers is going to perform that, we cannot guess which transaction we have to show or not show. So we have to, the, the theory goes, we have to show all of those transactions. And also once they're on the blockchain, we have to make sure, even if someone didn't check this year, this month, if in six, five years times right now, someone went back to the approval solvency report from five years ago, and they now went and decided, you know, I'm going to check it now. And they find an issue. It's still causing to question everything we've done. And so it forces us to, show everybody's transactions and show on a monthly basis that we're solvent. So that, I hope, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, but that hope is a description of what provable proof of reserves uh, are and how they work. There are some variations. You don't have to send a transaction on the blockchain. You can just show a Bitcoin address with a certain amount. People can inspect what the um, public key is and you can sign a transaction with the related private key without actually having to do a blockchain transaction but we we like the the process of 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 at this point anyway of actually performing a transaction on blockchain that's how we started we want to maintain the same process as well as opposed to it takes a while especially a complex process like this to bed it in and and get all your customers used to using it that's how it works and it allows you customers to effectively to some degree, self-verify or self-audit um, coin flow. So whereas um, some companies say, oh, we, we have auditors from, we're in a trust or we have auditors who are these big four auditors who are proven wrong in a, in a massive way, in a, in a way that led to the whole um, um, crash of 2020, 2008 and 2009 anyway. Um, Instead, what we've done is turned all of our customers into our auditors, into a decentralized auditor for us. And also, these are orthogonal solutions, i.e. you do not need to choose one or the other. There's no reason why you can't do one or the other. But the difference is this one incentivizes your customers to learn to be financially self-sovereign, to learn to not just trust, verify, and not just blindly trust, whereas the others don't. Everyone still forces your customers to think in the old way. Um, so why do other exchanges not do this? We rack our heads. We, we don't understand. In, in 2014, there was a joint statement by, I mean, this is a point of fact, but it was Coinbase, blockchain.info at the time, now blockchain.com, Kraken, um, Bitstamp, and BTC China, who's no longer around, I think, in any great level. They all said, we're going to do proof of solvency reports going forward. Mt. Gox is a terrible thing. We've signed this paper. Kraken tried it, did a couple. Uh, we, the following month, when we launched, um, said, we're going to do it from the beginning, proof of solvency reports. And we did one. Then the following month, we did another, then another. And um, this is now March, but in February, we hit our... Um, 72nd provable solvency report. So that was six years straight of doing provable solvency reports. Where from our account, the total of the top Western exchanges, I don't I don't know if there's non-Western exchanges that are doing proof of solvency reports, but 
the top Western exchanges in com combination, I don't think they've even done 10 in total. Um, now, what are the downsides of doing a proof of sovereignty report? Well, one, it's, it's, it's a lot of effort and a lot of hassle. It forces you to do a self-audit and, 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 and reconciliation on all of your Bitcoin numbers um, every month. Uh, but I don't see why it's a bad thing for you or your customers. It, it gives you a lot of financial discipline. And so that's one. The other, there are potential ones. Um, you could be insolvent. <laughs> that could be a reason why you don't want to do it. So, um, so that's one. Um, you could have been hacked or so on. You could be temporarily insolvent. You could be using a large percentage of your money to trade um, on other exchanges and to try and make more profit from it beyond the profit you're making from trading fees. Um, so that's another reason. And obviously, if that's the case, you don't want to either, you don't want to re reduce, you might be addicted to the revenue you get from that. By doing this, it makes it harder to do that inconspicuously. Um, and so you may not be interested that way. I think that could be the case for a large number of exchanges, but I'm hoping that those scenarios aren't, and I don't think the resources are the issue because when we've exchanged, when we've um, raised, in some cases, one two hundredth of the amount some of these other exchanges have raised, um, don't think it's an issue of not having the capital and resources to sort this out. I think probably the biggest one is it gives you a radical, it provides radical transparency to your customers because very few companies open their books on a monthly basis saying exactly how much you can effectively work out things like the number of customers who have balances with us. You can look at the total that we're holding and you can also see, and this is actually an incredibly valuable resource. And we work, we're working with various universities who are doing research into, because it's public data, research into changes in, in people's um, custody habits over time. You effectively are able to see the proportion of your accounts, which are large um, holders who are medium-sized and who are retail. You can see also the effects, because we've been around for six years, you can see the effects of what um, um, things like for large falls in price or large rises in price due to the amount of amount that people hold and, addition, and do, does it, question marks like, do larger holders or, or um, do retail come in post, post a um, price rise? You can sort of figure it out by looking at the balances that happen. So it's radical transparency. Um, it could mean that the numbers that you show externally, or you don't even show, people could guess your numbers and they may overguess and give you, um, and and estimate that you actually have far more customers than you actually have. Or you might say you have millions of customers, but it might be only a tiny percentage are actually active. And uh, it'll be very apparent if you start doing provable solvency, if that's the case. So I, I think that probably the most likely is the, the um, business secrecy, transparency um, concerns that prevent people from doing it. But at the end of the day, the customer loses out um, massively by not doing it. And we're in a new world of, of finance. We, we, we have to behave like we're in that new world in our view.
Yeah, exactly. And I urge anyone that's listening, that if you have any coins on any other exchanges, um, you know, get them off, get them in your own wallet, because this is what proof of reserves and proof of keys is all about. You know, it's um, Obi, not only are you the only Bitcoin company doing this, you probably like one of the only companies in the world doing this, like across all sectors, like, you know, yeah, it's <laughs> to, to prove solvency. It's, yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it, it's but not. it seems so basic. Like, I'm going to prove every month that my business is solvent. And that's weird. <laughs> well, to get how me are on, you the when outlier? When we started, like, <laughs> it, was, it was when I first started, to be honest, I was like, this is a good idea, but are we sure we want to do this? Because my view is, if you're going to do it, then you're going to do it. I'm not someone who likes to just do something by half measures. And so I was envisaging for the rest of my life, I now have this, you know, I have this obligation. But we thought it was important and we we started. Um, it was a challenge, especially when we were like four or five people, you know, is in fact two or three people at the beginning. Um, but... Now looking back, it was it was a number of key decisions that we made, but that was one of the really good decisions we made. It's it's this up there with coming out early saying that um, it's Bitcoin is actually it's the the right currency to and the right fork is always the one that's supported by the users. When people were deciding is it users or is it mining power, that became clear. Which is also why we made a decision to go Bitcoin only, because another one of the big battles was the battle between who has the power, miners or users? Answer, users. The service patrons, not the service providers. But there's another sort of subtle battle that's starting to heat up with, and, and again, another misconception. Who has the power? Exchanges or exchange users? Guess what? The answer is users. People go, this is a big exchange or that's big exchange. This exchange is doing low volume. This exchange is doing high volume. Well, most exchanges volume or, or many people, uh, many people find dubious the volumes on most exchanges out there. We know for a fact when Bitcoin was banned in, in China way back, I think it was, again, I lose track because many years have gone by, but I think it was 2014, 2015. We were a similar place right now in the rankings, 100 or something or so. Then Bitcoin was banned in China. And at the time, China was doing 99 point, I remember 99.3% of volume. It's an incredible percentage. Then they stopped. And all this volume, you'd expect, if that's real volume, it's going to switch. People are not just going to stop and switch and go to other countries. Um, there was an uplift in volume of other countries, but it was, it was tiny compared to the, to the amount that disappeared. So uh, that was the first time people realized that what must have been happening was a majority of the exchanges were, we had fake volume they were publishing. And when we mean fake volume, we were talking about 80 to 90% of the volume was fake. Um, it's highly likely that we have similar numbers now. If you look at some of the exchanges and, and their, their volume and so on, it's highly likely that a large percentage is not real. And so just using, when we know that's the case and using the volumes on the exchange to determine how important exchanges doesn't seem to make mistake make sense. 
I think determining what is the right exchange to go with should be about the one that's trying to do stuff in a way which is aligned with the interests of their customers. But an exchange will continue to do what it thinks is going to make it the most money if they're not concerned about the interests of the customers, unless customers choose, vote with their feet, vote with their coin. With, um, with the choice of miners, you're, you're voting with your nodes. But with the choice of exchanges, you're voting with your coin. You can switch exchanges in moments. And then beyond that, you should also understand that you need to use exchanges to go between fiat to crypto and crypto to fiat. And if it's Bitcoin, you need to use exchanges to potentially trade from crypto to crypto, but I'm not sure which other cryptos you'd want to, to trade against. But that's, again, if you want to trade and speculate, it's fine. But for the real use case of holding the world's hardest money, you, you're talking about fiat to crypto and crypto to fiat. Then you need to custody yourself once you're educated. And that's the ultimate proof of keys. Not your keys, not your coin scenario. If your exchanges are trying to dissuade you from any of that in the long term, then they're not acting your interest. And you have to realize the lesson of crypto is monetary re-education. There are multiple lessons, stacking sets, um, um, disinflation or defl- and eventually um, zero inflation. There's various innumerable strength in numbers. There's don't trust verify. You know, these are the lessons. That, and finally, there's monetary re-education. It's important. It's important. Everything else, you have to understand that a lot of what we've learned about money is inaccurate. And we have to relearn that. And once you relearn that, you'll realize that people who are telling you to continue to trust them are, are actually the same wolves in, in, in a new sheep's clothing. Yeah. And I'm on glass. I just want to drive now. home that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all right. My my beer's running out. I'm going to have to run back to the fridge. But we're getting through some awesome stuff here. Um, I want to talk about uh, what you were talking about, like fudging the volume and and some exchanges talking about, um, you know, the virtue signaling and the virtue signaling in in all the wrong ways, the the, the virtue signaling in legacy finance ways. It's like we have this much volume to basically signal we have all of this liquidity yep. to basically signal, come trade on our platform. Yep. Whereas what you guys are doing, so they're building that moat, the traditional moat. And I yep. hate this word moat anyway. It's a horrible Warren Buffett throwback. But <laughs> the, if I look at, to use the analogy, if I look at your moat, your moat is wide open, total transparency, audited our books from month one, Yep. And we are now, what have you said, 72, 73 months into this. Yep. No one can bridge that. Yep. No other exchange yep. in yep. existence, yep. even even yep. though they're yep. older than you, yes, and even if they open exactly. tomorrow, <laughs> I mean, in 2030, CoinFloor are going to have all of this. Your moat is going to get wider and yep. wider and wider and wider. Exactly. And it's just... you've You've seen it. I mean... This is why we can't sleep. This is why it, it's we're the we're the wolf in sheep's clothing in this sense. I mean, it's it's just some of it's happenstance because we um, started in the UK, so we weren't in the US. So you're under the radar. Also, um, back in 2016, 
2017, we had, we'd won the UK market. We had like a large equity share in there, 60, 70%. Um, but we then made the call, you know, we're still a small team and what's next? Our customers were sophisticated um, investors and traders. And as, as that customer base, they really wanted more sophisticated products. And the holy grail was physically delivered futures. And uh, being cursed with the ability to come up with solutions to very complex problems, uh, uh, we figured out how to develop a physically delivered futures engine. It doesn't work like many other physically delivered futures engines, which is why we were able to develop it with our, with our budgets and so on. Seven months ahead of Intercontinental Exchange and backed and so on. And we delivered the, uh, the world's first physically delivered um, cryptocurrency futures exchange focused on institutional investors and traders. It did mean we had to make the call to um, effectively um, not focus on the UK market. So we gave the UK market away effectively to um, other players um, with the view of focusing on this um, institutional global market. We rolled out, it launched, I said, seven months before Intercontinental Exchange um, with a budget of, uh, we always do things for much less than anybody else because, you know, plucky British inventors and so on. So 150th of the budget of, 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 of our US uh, competitors. Um, and we then, having launched it and promoted it, we struck up a deal with um, um, trading technologies in Chicago and a conglomerate of um, traders and hedge funds and so on, crypto traders and hedge funds, to form CoinFlex. Um, and my co-founder went on to run CoinFlex. Uh, it's now it's based out of Hong Kong. It's crypto only, and it's offering multiple cryptos because that's what institutional and professional traders want, and they and they and they can they can do that. And it's doing very well. It's like quarter to half a, a billion daily trade volume. So we did well from that. We have a significant stake in it, and so that was the right call. We we built this IP and and we we rolled it out, and it's running and it's doing well. And then. But all the while, I knew that although building new tech and doing it um, faster and at lower cost than other people, et cetera, is, is great. Um, in my heart, I knew I really wanted to get back to my Anglo-Jurian roots and solving a problem, which was, it was even looking around, it was still incredibly, even years later, even though we'd left this market, it was still not easy to get access to um, cryptocurrency. Then it also became very clear that actually the solution started with one thing. Everything else flowed from that. The decision that we were going to go Bitcoin only. So we announced it in December, but it decided earlier before then. Because once you go Bitcoin only, everything becomes easier. One, you have a stable platform. It doesn't change every few weeks. Two, just from a user experience point of view, if you do not have choices of cryptocurrency, you will always be able to make a, a user experience, which is far simpler than anyone, even if you have a choice between two cryptocurrencies, 
you now have to have drop downs. Which one do you want to buy today? Which one do you not want to buy today? And everything becomes more complex. When it's only one, there isn't a choice. You're just buying the same thing. So we can now make a disruptively simpler experience. And we knew this. Then we realized that in the background, and this is the one that you can't just do overnight, we've amassed this unassailable um, lead in terms of proof of reserves, um, proof of solvency and Bitcoin audits. So again, that was something which we knew was something that's going to become more and more important as the balances being stored and exchanges get bigger and bigger and bigger, the calls for people to audit these things get higher. We know it's very hard for auditors, traditional auditors, to audit exchanges because they're not comfortable auditing Bitcoin because it's such a new thing. And even if they were, it sort of goes against the mindset and, and, and the philosophy and the, and the roots of Bitcoin to try and have a Bitcoin exchange audited by auditors when there's a mechanism where you can actually have your customers be the auditor. So again, that was six years in the making, but it was also something that we could then offer. And the only thing that was missing was how do we make the purchasing process as aligned with our customers as possible? And that's why we worked hard over that period to figure out how we can make the sign-up process compliant, follow all regulations and, and in line with all regs, which is a very important thing for us because there's no point um, building something which is really simple, but we can't be a functioning business because then you're not serving your customer. And we've done that. We believe it's simpler than anyone else in the space. And the key, the key, the key thought there was: I want people to be able to sign up with information they can remember from the top of their head without having to go anywhere else. And that's name, address, date of birth, and nationality. Um, and then finally, the purchasing process: How can we make that as simple as possible? And as Although you can't guarantee, and we, you know, this is not investment advice. We can't. There is a risk. Bitcoin in ten years' time could go down, um, and you have to do your own research. and And we we write articles and we'll be coming out with many articles on that um, subject. But if you have come to Bitcoin and crypto, then your belief is in the long term these things will go up in value. That's your personal belief. Um, if you don't believe that, then you wouldn't even be here at the door. The issue then is dealing with the short-term risk. And the answer, which was again, at this time in 2019, starting to get louder and louder calls for, was what's called dollar cost averaging. Now we wanted to give, we call them dollar cost averaging just so in case people want to know it, but we also give them simpler names as well. So auto buying instead of dollar cost averaging, um, Bitcoin audits instead of proof of reserves, but, but we also show them the other names for them as well. And that was the final thing. And then, the, the final thing came together where we decided to do a slight rebrand. So our logos changed. We've always used internally initials for our company. And then we just felt it might be simpler and easier to rebrand ourselves as CFUK from a logo point of view. Um, um, in in a homage to the other sort of high-end UK fashion brand that end up um, rebranding and focusing on the retail market, French Connection, which was actually a UK company, it was called French Connection and rebranded to FC UK. Um, and uh, it's also good because this is an incredibly fun space. And our view was, you know what? We've got to have fun when we're doing this stuff. And the site should be fun. I mean, obviously it should be um, give information and it should be... 
um, accurate, as accurate as we can make it. We're human beings. We might make mistakes, but we try our hardest and we try to correct. But it should be fun and it should be a few jokes. There's a few Easter eggs in there, left and right and so on, because we're having fun. So yeah, and that's and that's where it all came together. So we we think that this is what's really interesting about this is it's now almost impossible for people to many of the big players in this space to copy because some of them are contractually bound to offer some of these for want of a better phrase and we do we do both know a better phrase altcoins they might be contractually bound to offer them and at that stage if um retail starts to realize that after a few years of icos being around most of them aren't doing well and it doesn't need to be everybody, but a significant percentage realize that actually most of them aren't good. Then, and they start calling for these people to delist, they may not actually be able to delist. Um, it's also, even if you feel comfortable to trade on multiple cryptocurrencies and you see them as a sort of this way to speculate short term and, and day trade, you want to get your friends to invest. Do you want to... I think a lot of people, especially if they're Bitcoin maximalists, have this recurring nightmare where, um, or, or a daymare actually, where they finally have someone who's interested in Bitcoin and it will happen in the next bull run and people will come up and ask for advice and they'll talk about Bitcoin. Most of them wouldn't have heard of any other cryptocurrency. Some of would. You finally convince them about Bitcoin. You tell them to go to your uh, some exchange and then a week later, they come back and they say, and, and you're, did you buy? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I bought. I came, thanks very much for that. I joined, I logged onto the, that site. It was really great. Um, and I bought some. He goes, what, Bitcoin? No, 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 I did buy some Bitcoin because that was really expensive. I decided to buy Wibblecoin or, or Orchestra Coin or Flower Coin or whatever you want to call it. And because it was only 30p. And you then sort of facepalm. And you then realize that that is exactly not what you want them to do. If you, and I hope of it, by the way, we do not want to be the only exchange that does this. Um, but if we have to be, we will be. Yes, we start with the UK, then we're going to go to Europe. And if we're forced to, we're going to US, we're going everywhere. But we don't want to be. We want people who can change, who haven't made the two-footed tackle of no return, to use a UK metaphor again, um, who can change to also follow this path, provide an offering which is clear, simple, and really honestly shows people that right now, realistically, Bitcoin is the option that you should, the only option you should really be showing to retail. Yeah, mate, 100% agree on everything you just said. I think what's really exciting actually is most startups um, if you even class yourself as a startup anymore, because like you, you know, you you you're well into this, you're many years into it. But most startups, um, young companies, always looking for you know what's the next thing, what's the next product. You don't have to worry about that. Like mm. yes, you've, you you can integrate with a hard wallet. That's brilliant. You know, I think you'll have companies queuing at your door, and there's only two or three really really sound ones. That I'm sure you'd and even have on your list. Line. That's down the line. Yeah. Right. So now then, it's purely like. Focus just is on education. Sort of, yeah. It's just tune. It's just tuning and tuning and tune. I mean it's and it's fun. It's it's quite interesting. So what we have to understand is that why I'm also so bullish is that I've got I mean, 
if it was, I mean, if if the camera was on, you'll see that there's like almost like tears welling up. I've got such an incredible, incredible team. It's just so good. They're so passionate. And also they're really, really, really um, quite a very young team, actually. And, but there's a maturity to them as well. So although um, we're doing something really powerful and really interesting, it, it, there isn't this desire to always just add this flashbang feature and so on. There's much more of a desire for everybody to just, we know we're doing something really powerful. There's the potential of it's amazing. Let's just do that one thing really well. And we know to just do one thing, one simple thing really well is incredibly hard. And so, um, and the difficulties in the detail. And so right now we're working really hard to sort of complete the vision of all the different offerings. Um, and then we're just going to tune and tune and listen to our customers and tune and listen to the customers and tune. If it turns out that no one really actually wants to do um, dollar cost averaging auto buying or no one really cares about whether their money's safe or not. Um, and they want to give all the responsibility to the customers. Then that's, that's our biggest risk that the, but then that's, that means also that the fundamental value proposition of, of um, Bitcoin could potentially be at risk if, if no, no, none of the users actually care about that fundamental proposition of being your own bank or don't trust verify, re-educating yourself about money, stacking sats, you know, um, various in numerous strength in numbers, which is again, by the way, uh, Bitcoin audits combines the two because you work together to audit, but you also, you also verify to, as well. If all of these sort of um, tenets of, of Bitcoin aren't actually important to retail or we can't, get people to see that those things are, are the, the key lessons, then that's aligned because then this shouldn't succeed. Um, so, but we're, we're hoping that, it, that that's not the case. I don't expect everybody, again, I said it's like, a, like a, a black hole. Not everybody will understand those day one. Um, and we don't need everybody to understand it day one. We're a very lean organization and so on. But we would like to see, uh, and, we, and by the way, we've already got people giving feedback and using it, which is already heartening. But um, the next step now is to go off, talk about it. It's really difficult to just not talk about it. We're just so passionate. So I'm worried. I don't want to turn back into the the Bitcoin guy, but <laughs> I will do. I can't help it. It <laughs> is um, probably, um, do you do, do you have any shout outs for um for other dollar cost average um firms out there because uh, I know that there is like uh, in the US for example Swan launched Swan recently Bitcoin, uh, there's um there's Swan Bitcoin there's um Bull Bitcoin um That's Canada, right? But yeah, that's Canada, yeah. Yep. So yeah. I'm just trying uh, to do the France best for the listeners. Um, Amber in the US. Amber, yeah. Uh, Australia, excuse me, in Australia. Amber, yeah. Uh, get bitter, I think, in Europe. Um, yeah, bitter as well. Yeah, so there's there's a there's a few. Yeah, bitter, Swan, um, Bull, Amber. Yeah, there's there's a few, and hopefully there'll be more. 
Exactly. there'll be more. Exactly why I asked you um, that question because what I what I love about this space is you know legacy business is a competitive landscape. This sector is a collaborative landscape, and that is how businesses have to be built from you know from now on. You know, let, let's let's put competition aside and start collaborating because we got to build a better future than, than we had in the last 30, 40, 50 years. Mm. Um, and it starts now. And I, I, I like to think, uh, and when I, you know, I think there is, I think it's something else, something in the middle. It's a sort of respectful slash friendly competition. So all of our competing companies, as long as they're not bullshitting their customers, um, we have a healthy relationship with them. There was a a, a tweet from a, a UK, um, not an exchange, but it still provides a service of allowing people to buy and sell Bitcoin um, um, recently. And they they sent this throwback, throwback Thursday or something like that, where they asked um, and they, 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 they added other people in the UK space to say, look, here's where we used to work. And it was this warehouse. Um, it, was, um, it was a company called Coin Corner. And uh, it was a warehouse, and that's where they started off. And they and they added us, because um, we'd also been in this space for a long time. They they also added uh, Bittylicious, which is another company that's Mark, you know, has been there for ages. And um, they said, look, hey, um, why don't you send pitch images of where you started off? And we sent this place on Gresham Street, which is just around the corner because we love symbolism and so on. It's just around the corner from Hatton Garden. So it's, you know, we're making, we were helping bring into the world access to digital gold around the corner from the, the gold, the gold district of um, UK of London. And so we show that picture as well. And, you know, this is a great respect for each other and at different Bitcoin halvings, different people have got together um, and, you know, had a drink or so on. Even when it's in a bear market and there's not many people around, we still manage to just raise a glass and like cheer. Um, so, so we are competing with each other, but we are friendly. And the reason why I think is that for, for the foreseeable future, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was anything less than 10 years and probably far longer. Um, this is like, uh, I don't know if all your listeners will remember these metaphors, but um, either they might remember the crystal maze or they'll remember hungry hippos. One of those two, but the same metaphor. But imagine, I think crystal maze is a good example where at the moment it's all opportunity and especially in bull runs, it's, it's crazy. This every, things, customers and interests and so on is flying from all fields. And you're in this globe, like in the Crystal Maze, this game show, um, 80s, I think it was rebooted again um, more recently. And you have a number, a short, a short amount of time to get as many of these, of these glittering tassels that are floating in the air. Um, and the more you get, the better you do. And those are customers that, in our case, we want to get them along to be our customers, but also to follow the, but it's more than that. It's to get them to follow the right path and not fall fall down the wrong path. And when there is multiple people in this space, um, 
and it's an environment like that, you're not really focused on each other in that sense. You're focused on all the opportunity out there. You cannot get, you don't have enough hands to get what you can get anyway. So why are you worried about what they're going to get? At some point in time, when when we've gone from 1% penetration worldwide to 99% or 90%, that's when you start looking around and the hippos start looking at left and right, maybe. But that that's that's so far away. We are luck, fortunate enough to not be in an environment where there's sparse pickings, you know, in the, you know the uh, in the in the jungle, and now sort of the the, the pickings of of um, grass and so on have got thin. So you have to either move on nomad like or start to potentially fight with others. Uh, we're far away from that. If and I'm not sure if we'll in our lifetime get to that point. Yeah. I, I, again, I think you're, um, I think you're bang on. Well, Obi, um, we've been talking for what seems it's almost two hours. So I'll, okay. I'll, give, wow. the, I'll give the listeners <laughs> a little break, but I could carry on talking to you for the rest of the evening. Um, so we're definitely going to have to do a round two at some point and check in with no floor and what's going on and, um, all the other topics that we want to get to discussing, um, which we'll, we'll just have to do on another show, I think, because uh, we, we've had some very um, interesting uh, conversations earlier, uh, just over the phone. So, um, but I want to end the um, this conversation on uh, a question I ask uh, everybody that comes on the show, and okay. that question is: If you could implant your knowledge of Bitcoin into any one person who could then go and share that knowledge with their audience, an audience far wider than you could ever reach, who would that person be and why? Hmm. I would choose, and I might get the name of this um, podcast wrong, um, but I would choose probably something like or someone from um, – Two Shots of Tequila, I think it's called. So it's a incredibly popular YouTube um, channel. Um, and it's some Generation Z millennials who just talk about stuff. And it's and they have a massive following, etc. Because um, and that's just an example. It could be it could be others, but people who appeal and I have a huge following amongst the millennial or the lower end, the, the younger end of millennials to the Generation Z group. That's That would be the person. Because I feel that, especially now, if you're a boom, baby boomer, three or four years of working hard, you could have bought your own house. As a, as a Generation X, like I am, I don't know if, I don't know if you're a millennial or Generation, you're a Generation X. Generation X, you know, we worked for 10, 15 years hard. You could maybe, and a bit lucky, you can maybe buy your house. Um, generation Millennials, basically it was nearly impossible to buy your house. house and Generation Z, forget it, it's over. Um, if you, if we know that, um, and there was this book, this tome called Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty. And if you, the summary is this huge study into capital and what happened to it. But the summary is, if you're able to acquire capital, acquire, acquire assets, you will become, um, um, and stores of value assets, you will become wealthy over time. And if you're not, 
and you don't acquire those, you will become poor. And, um, and that's, it's as simple as that. If you start out poor, but you can acquire these, you wait long enough, you will become wealthy. If you can hold on to these. The problem is for the, for the everyday person in the street, what does it mean as a store of value, something that you can hold as an asset? Really, for most people, that means their common sense understanding is free things. No one really, no, most people, unless you'll say in India, uh, most people don't see gold as a store of asset now, as for the, the, for the, for the everyday person. They see cash, they see real estate, like a property, a house or a flat, or they, they maybe see um, stocks and shares. Now, let's look at them. Cash, we know that cash is actually not a great store of value. Um, so if you're using that, you're just going to become poor over time. So people need to avoid that trap early on. And now with Brewer money, you know, the money printing that's going on, it's going to become even more apparent that actually it's not a good store of money, store of value. Then real estate, it's basically the, the sort of the, the wall you have to, the actual physical and, 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 and uh, philosophical and um, um, wall that you have to get over to be able to buy property is so high for someone who's a uh, generation Z that they can't access that. And also, it, there's a high risk that that could go down in value over the coming years. And then finally, stocks and shares. Again, that's they're looking far more volatile than Bitcoin right now. And the long-term prospects for many companies are not looking good. So again, it's not a good store of value. So where do you have to choose for a store of value? Well, along comes Bitcoin. This is the hardest form of money that the world has ever seen, potentially. And finally, you separate concerns. Instead of the place you live being performing its real purpose, which is a roof over your head and protection against the elements and a place to store your, your stuff, it's also acting as a store of value. Well, really, shouldn't it just optimize and just be that one thing, the roof over your head and protection against the, against the, against the environment? Um, and you have something else which is optimized to be a store of value. The ultimate thing that should be optimized to be a store of value is your money. And so that's what Bitcoin does. It doesn't, it, it provides smart contracts and all that sort of stuff, but this is all window dressing. This is all fro um, icing on the cake. The real, these are billion dollar use cases, maybe $10 billion use cases. A store of value that holds its value no matter what, we, given what we've seen with the printing of money, tells us that that's a multi-trillion dollar use case. All other use cases that everybody talks about, bill of lading and name and whatever that people talk about, these are rounding errors. These are rounding errors on rounding errors compared to the store of value use case in terms of its value to the world and its importance. So if someone has the ear of, of those people who are coming into this world of adulthood and so on so that they can understand early on, they can be re-educated early on before they're indoctrinated into the, into the, the group, the, the, the group wrong think as it were. The effect of that will be amazing. And if I, if I, if I have to sort of sacrifice my life, but pass my knowledge, you know, onto someone, then I would have uh, liked that. 
I, I would die or I'd go into the effort a happy person. That's excellent. That's that's perfect answer. And I always it's the demographic, and you're right. And it, you know, to to think about that demographic, that those those younger guys that are they're coming into um, you know uncertain times, to to have this now is so key. And yeah, so I don't know. I don't know how listeners you can help us reach that. I'll put the um, the YouTube um, in in the show notes, and if we can get them, um, if we can, you know, do a good old Bitcoin crowdsource and get these guys. Uh, uh, reaching out to a, a podcast or reading some books and then sharing a the message, then uh, that would be, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, we're doing our bit, right? That's um, that's perfect. Definitely. Well, cheers to that one. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> man. For sure. Cheers. <laughs> well, cheers. Obi, it was so great to um, to get into this and have this conversation. Um, I think – I think you're building a, an, a, an incredible company and you've built, well, you've built an incredible company already. Um, and, you know, what, what, I, what I foresee is going to be um, pretty uh, unbeatable. And uh, I think uh, it's really important what you're doing. And I really, um, you know, thank you so much for your work. And I hope um, this podcast reaches many people and people reach out. How can people help you? What's... Um, are you guys uh, in need of any help or like um oh we're always in need of help um and i think as you say various in numerous strength in numbers so we in lots of different ways um we run a tight ship but we are looking to our ambitions are still limited by our pockets so we think we can focus on uk and do a very good job there but as we start getting comments from people in other countries as we start hearing more from people contacting us, we realize that we are capable of a bigger job and our ambitions are not limited because they're, they're, they're limited by our passion and our passion is infinite. So there is that side of things. The, and so people who can reach out to us in that respect are, is always of interest. And then more importantly, um, spreading the word, education, um, Either if you're looking to have a, if you've got an exchange, go Bitcoin only. That helps us because it helps the whole community and it helps the whole message. Um, if not, but you're, you are someone who's passionate about Bitcoin, then, and you're, especially if you're UK, point them towards CoinFloor. The reason why you should point them towards CoinFloor is not to fill our coifers, but it's because if you want people to buy Bitcoin, then you need to point to the site, which is not going to distract, distract them with various altcoins or, for want of a better phrase, shitcoins. Um, you want them want someone that's going to have interests that are aligned with with your friends. It's not going to try and train them to be day traders. It's going to try and just help them buy regularly and simply. So that's the other way you can help. So either do the same thing, follow our lead and go Bitcoin only. Um, if you're interested in getting involved in some more detailed um business way talk to us or point people in our direction and we'll try and do our best um to keep them on the right path and give them a simple safe way of of um, buying bitcoin and being part of this new incredible financial future excellent and what's the best way for people to find you is it twitter or email or did you want to share any um contact details 
Yeah, so me personally, Twitter is the easiest. So luckily I had I joined Twitter very early. So I'm OB on Twitter. So twitter.com slash OBI. Um, and so it's very easy to find me. And you'll see my various musings on Bitcoin, decentralized work, decentralization as the, the path to the future. And for CoinFloor, um, easy to just go to coinfloor, C-O-I-N-F-L-O-O-R.co.uk. And that's it. And you'll see everything from there. Excellent. Obi, thank you so much for your time. I really, really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. I mean, looking forward to catching up again. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, matey. Excellent. Thanks very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. See ya. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Obi for taking... All of that time, the time that we spent on this original interview and further conversations we've had since then, um, talking about the plans for CoinFloor, how he wanted to help support the show, um, you know, partnering with with me and with other people. Uh, They're really making a push now, CoinFloor, to try and get the message out to to those based in the UK that this is a Bitcoin-only exchange and they do have weekly buy functions, which is... um, you know, it's great because there's so much innovation going on in the, in the US. We all get caught up and, and watching them with envy, uh, the great work that they're doing over there. Uh, brilliant, um, you know, kind of trailblazing uh, in the Bitcoin space. But it is here as well in uh, in Europe. And um, I know CoinFloor is specific to the UK. But as you heard, Obi, in the interview, they will step up. Uh, if if no other companies come in, he he expects them to, and um, that's brilliant because uh, we need more collaboration in this in this space to get as many people uh, onboarded as possible and starting their educational journey around Bitcoin and what it could mean for their future and their families. So really enjoyed the conversation. Really enjoyed um, you know forming a friendship with Obi and helping CoinFloor in their mission. And what what. <laughs> What is really, what sticks out for me throughout this whole conversation and, and a couple of weeks afterwards thinking about it is like the dedication to, to the ethos of Bitcoin and the dedication to trying to serve uh, the community in the best way possible and the new people coming into the community. And this proof of reserves, like that is that is huge. And... I mean, the sat dropped for me when I was talking with him. I'd heard him mention this before, but the sat dropped with me talking with him in the interview. It's like, wow, hang on a minute. Like six years of proof of reserves. No other company can touch that. As long as CoinFloor are around, no other company is ever going to get close to what they have achieved. And that is incredible that there are so many other exchanges around that just are not devoting any time to this proof of reserves and self-audit and, um, you know, like just basic good business practices that they are standing head and shoulders above the crowd. It's not going to be long before people wake up and realize that. And it's not going to be long before more people are drawn towards uh, CoinFloor. So I hope they go global. Um, Obviously, it'll be a a slow and steady expansion but um i think it's kind of going to become inevitable because they're they're going to have such a, a global audience if if nowhere else is is proving this um you know this is just the next 
step along the journey is like you know if it's if it's not your keys not your coin but if you don't want to take ownership and have that uh, especially for new people coming in they want to have the knowledge and be safe in the knowledge that the exchange that they are interacting with actually does have the backing that it says it does so there's no fractional reserve nonsense going on here and that's this is really important and i can't drive that point home any harder than than i just have i hope so yeah go check them out and um yeah use the uh, referral code code if you're going to go over there uh if you're based in the uk and um it's uh coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and yeah start start your journey guys um for those of you that are um based outside of the uk make sure you um you check um like uh, which country wherever you're based check into um auto buys uh in your area because there are companies now that are um coming up and, and getting involved in this and starting this as well so make sure you check that out if you're in the u.s you can always go and check out Swan. That's uh, swanbitcoin.com. And if you go forward slash once bitten, uh, you'll get uh, a referral bonus there as well. They've been kind enough as well to um, come on the show, both founders, Jan and uh, Corey. Go and listen to their interviews. Again, these guys are spreading the ethos and the education, and they're building something truly unique in the Bitcoin space with the people that just go and check out the team they have. Um, it's just amazing. So they're the places you need to head to. Um, I'm sure other countries, um, you, you'll be able to find something. I know that. Uh, and um, I'll try and reach out to, to more of these founders for these functions and get them on the show. And um, all the best, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you can share this episode, it'd be uh, really much appreciated. Have a... Um, yeah, have a great time wherever you are. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.